as we were singing that, I had the, the joy of the baby with her head on my chest and my arms around her. And so we sang, He Will Hold Me Fast. And I thought, oh, uh, God does, it, it is not too low or unspiritual to think of yourself as held by him like that. Because he's the one who says in Isaiah 40 that he, he, he carries the lambs in his arms. He's the one who says in the passage this is referring to, no one will, will, will pluck them out of my hands. He's the one who in the Psalms uses the imagery of like an adult reaching down and holding the child of their toddler as they walk. Those are all God's images. And so it is, would not be at all uh, below him or unworthy of his relationship with us for you to picture him as, as, as holding you uh, with that kind of love and tenderness through Christ as we go into this new year. All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke 22 and Mark 14. Two different gospel accounts uh, that we'll be going back and forth between this morning. It's New Year's Eve, and I'd like to seek to give us a new perspective on resolutions, and I am fully aware that some of you will quickly say, I don't make resolutions, uh, and I don't either. At least I don't make New Year's resolutions. Um, So don't worry, we're not talking about New Year's resolutions. The point is that at various points, we are, as human beings, we make resolves. We do. Even if it's just quietly in your heart, you look at things in your life, your family, your job, whatever, and you say, I would love to see this happen. I want to work toward this. This needs to change. So whether or not New Year's resolutions are something you tend to do, we, we are the kind of people who come up with a new plan, a new idea, a new commitment, and, and resolutions are a common human experience. And so I want to give us some biblical perspective and then point us in a particular direction as we begin this new year. Luke 22 and Mark 14, these are two passages that bring us into sacred moments on the night before Jesus died. First, we listen in at the table as he and his disciples take the Passover meal together. And then we follow along as they go into the garden in the hours before his arrest. As those events unfolded, did Jesus know what was coming that night? Did he know? Luke 22, verse 15. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Verse 21. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. Verse 34. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So did he know? Yes. Arrest, trial, and crucifixion were just hours away. And he looked ahead with some trepidation. Verse 44 And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It is possible for a person to be under such intense stress that your 
capillaries began bursting and sweat and blood mingle together. That might have happened here. What the verse says is just that his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. As he looked ahead at the weight of sin he would bear on the cross, it was agonizing. This was sinless agony, yet very real agony, so real that his sweating became so heavy that it almost seemed like it could not be merely sweat. And so then back in verse 42, we see his prayer. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What a wonderful prayer that would be for every one of us as we look ahead to a new year. Maybe for you, thinking ahead is agonizing. Maybe you see something coming that makes you say, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Or maybe the new year looks exciting for you. Either way, it would be so good for us to pray, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It is a humbling prayer because in it we admit that we aren't in charge of the year ahead. For some of us, it feels terrifying to not be in control. We get our peace in life from feeling like we have things under control. And yet the truth is we aren't. We couldn't just force our own will even if we wanted to. It is also a humbling prayer because we are admitting that God's will is better and wiser than my own. No, that wasn't true of Jesus. But for us, when we pray this, we're admitting that our will might even be foolish or, or sinful. It is also a worshipful prayer because we are willingly humbling ourselves before His will. So it's a humbling prayer. It's a worshipful prayer. But then it's also a restful prayer and a joyful prayer because we are expressing our confidence that our wise and loving Father is charting the path for our life. It's a good thing that we're not in charge and He is. It's a good thing that His will is done, not our own. Nothing's more stressful than trying to be God when you aren't. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't trying to be God. He was God. His agony was a sinless agony. But we sometimes do try to be God. And so as we look ahead at our lives, it is restful to come and pour out our request to him, and then say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Psalm 18, verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. He can be trusted with my entire life, my entire being, and my every moment. So maybe even right now, this morning, you could pray that. Nevertheless, Not my will, but yours be done. But now, let's look again at verse 42 and think of it not only as a prayer, but also as a resolution. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It is his prayer, but it is also his commitment. It is also his resolve. Just a little while earlier, As they finished the Passover meal, Jesus had said this to his disciples. He said, The ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, 
let us go from here. Do you hear his resolve? Around that same time, he prayed to the Father. And in that prayer, he said, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And just a little while after this prayer in the garden, Jesus led the disciples out to meet Judas and the arresting soldiers. He said, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And they walked out to meet Judas. So as he walked through this dark and agonizing night, his heart was characterized by the resolve, the commitment to his Father's will no matter what. And so that means this can also be our commitment, our overarching resolve, not my will, but yours be done. But now Jesus was not the only one with resolve on that night. Let's go look at Mark 14 now, and let's read Mark 14, 26 through 31. All right, Mark 14, 26, and we'll be back to Luke 22, so keep, keep both places. Mark 14, 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And then verse 50, And they all left him and fled. So, If you say the word resolution to most Americans, two things immediately come to mind. First, New Year's, and second, we don't keep them. I saw various headlines this week, 80%, 88%. I don't know how you calculate failed resolutions, but we're good at it. Uh, two, Two helpful headlines this week. One said, the key to keeping New Year's resolutions, don't make them in the first place. Meanwhile, another said, why you should make New Year's resolutions even though you won't keep them. So what's the problem here? Why don't we keep our resolutions? And for the sake of this, our purposes this morning, I, I am referring primarily to the most important kinds of resolutions, the spiritual resolutions, not, not just, you know, the going to do a house project or something kind of resolutions. Why don't we keep our resolutions? Maybe we fail because we don't want it badly enough. And yet, we can intensely desire something and fail to follow through. Maybe we fail because we don't make a plan with steps and start acting on those steps right away. Um, But we've all started cool plans and then quit. Maybe the problem is that we don't share our resolutions with others so that we don't have, you know, the accountability and encouragement of others. And that's that's a good one. We, We need that. But we've all had public commitments we didn't keep. So maybe there's another answer. Maybe there's a bigger problem. I'm not trying to oversimplify and say there's only one reason. I'm just trying to point us to a reason Jesus gives us 
so that we might listen to him. So, in Mark 14, let's go back up to verse 29 again. Mark 14, 29, Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Verse 31 now. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Which in that context, that word means literally stay awake and stay alert. Verse 37, And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? So they usually calculate how long you keep resolutions last by the month of February. How many resolutions make it to February? Peter's resolution didn't make it an hour. And even after Jesus woke them up and rebuked them, they still fell back to sleep again. And then again. Until after the third time, Jesus said, get up, we're going to meet Judas. And they got up. So what's going wrong here? Was it a good resolve for the disciples to say, we're not going to fail you, we're not going to leave you, we're going to be with you? Was that a right resolve? Yes? So why can't the disciples keep their very good, strong, sincere resolutions? Well, Jesus has the diagnosis at the end of verse 38. Mark 14, the end of verse 38. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the word flesh here is the word that in the New Testament generally refers to our humanness. Remember, it can refer to our bodies, which is primarily what it means here. Verse 40 says their eyes were heavy. They wanted to keep their eyes open, but they just couldn't. The flesh was weak. The word flesh, though, can also refer to the sinful tendencies that we still have, even though we've been born again. And so, even though our spirit, he says the spirit is willing, even though our human spirit, made alive by the Holy Spirit, may have very good desires, our flesh is just too weak. So, what's the real problem with the resolutions that we don't keep? It's that we're too weak to keep most of them. Now, again, I'm not talking about you saying, I want to run a marathon this year. You may be strong enough to do that. I'm talking about our resolutions that come from our new heart in Christ of how we would love to grow and love and serve and make a difference for the Lord and become more like Jesus and We may have very strong resolve or determination. We may be very sincere and earnest, but we eventually run into the cold, hard reality that we're too weak to pull it off. Our weakness overcomes our willingness. That's what Jesus is saying. Our weakness overcomes our willingness. So now, back in Luke 22, look at verse 40. 
Luke 22:43 and there appeared to him to Jesus an angel from heaven doing what strengthening him Jesus did not have the sinful flesh that we have but he had a human body like us and even and in that sense he needed strengthened when he was in the agony of the garden, the Father sent an angel to strengthen him. And notice that the strengthening of verse 43 comes right after the resolution at the end of verse 42. Having expressed his commitment and resolve, even Jesus, as the Son of God in human flesh, needed strengthened. And so the point is that if Jesus said that the problem is that we're not strong enough to keep our resolutions... And if even Jesus was strengthened by an angel after his resolve in the garden, then what we need is some source of strength. We need someone who can strengthen us. Your greatest need isn't to want your resolution more or tell others about it or have a clear action plan, though all those things might be useful. Your greatest need is for strength you don't have, strength beyond yourself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's where the strength is. In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I think you have three more texts in your hand out there, right? The next three texts are just foundational texts about Christian living. You want to be very, very familiar with these three passages. Are they there? 1 Corinthians 15.10? Philippians 2? No? I don't have a handout. I do have a handout. Ack! They're not there. That's A-C-K. Ack. Uh, All right, so you have to write them down. Let's turn to them. 1 Corinthians 15.10. I am sorry, I made a mistake. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Philippians 2.12 and 13, Colossians 1.29. This is a set of three that are so very important for how you think about your Christian life. 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And now over to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. These passages are not talking about how we come to salvation. They're not talking about how God justifies us and makes us right with Christ. They're talking about how Christian living works once we have already been saved through the grace of Christ. 
Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So as the results of your salvation are worked out in your life, by you, it is God who is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then over to Colossians, just a, a page or two ahead, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. Colossians 1, 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Each one of those passages touches on the effort, the resolve, the hard work of the Christian life, and yet each passage also points to a strength beyond ourselves, a strength from God. And there is no parallel to that in other human experience. You, you don't say those kind of things about a boss and an employee, that the employee carries out his job by the boss's own strength that he gives in that employee. I, I don't know, maybe an overly simple or silly illustration, but what I think of always when I think of this is when I was a kid, and despite my love for the Utah Jazz and Carmelone and John Stockton and so forth, I had to deeply admire Michael Jordan and, and the Bulls of, of the 1990s. And when that kind of famous Gatorade commercial came out, sometimes I dream that he is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. I want to be like Mike. Even jazz fans wanted to move and groove like Mike. But my weakness would overpower my willingness in this case. And you could give me the best coach in the world, but the best coach in the world could not make this little guy Michael Jordan. Because in human life, it doesn't work that way. But God can do what no person can do. Give His strength to you for what you are not strong enough to do. This is a tremendous encouragement. God has strength that we don't have, and He loves to give it to us. Isaiah 40, 29, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, He increases strength. Colossians 1, 11 says that we can be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. I love the little phrase from Psalm 86, 16, Give your strength to your servant. Whose strength is it that He gives? Give your strength to your servant. It's not just that he gives strength. It's his own strength that he gives to weak people like us. So now, back to Mark 14. We've seen Jesus' diagnosis here in Mark 14, 38. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Our weaknesses overwhelm our willingness. Now we want to see Jesus' two-part prescription for our weakness. So go back to the beginning of the verse, Mark 14, 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch, first of all. And again, literally here, that this means stay awake. Don't fall asleep so that you fail to pray so that you then enter into temptation. If you aren't awake, you aren't praying. And if you aren't praying, then you're probably going to enter into temptation. And if that's true of physical watching here on this night, that's even more true of spiritual watching. If we're spiritually asleep, we won't be praying. And if we're not praying, we'll probably enter into temptation. And so there are many passages that talk about the need to be awake spiritually, to be watching spiritually. For example, if you just go back to Mark 13, several times Jesus uses this same word to talk about being awake for the coming of Christ. Mark 13, verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Here's our word. Keep awake. Watch. For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to to all, stay awake. The point in that passage is that the master has given you work to do. Don't fall asleep and stop doing his work so that when he comes, you get surprised that you weren't doing what he had called you to do while the master was gone. Don't, don't fall asleep spiritually. In another passage, this is Acts chapter 20, Paul tells pastors to watch, stay awake, be alert. He says, because there are fierce wolves to attack the flock, and there are people from within the flock who are going to try to draw people away from Jesus. So pastors, stay awake. And that has application for all kinds of leadership, including fathers. Stay awake. Be alert to what's going on in your family. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 is on your notes. So then not, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So when he refers to others, he's referring to people who don't follow Christ. They don't know the Lord. They like to sleep. He doesn't mean that literally because he actually in the context talks about how they like to stay up at night and sin. What he means is they, they're, they're asleep to what's really important. They're spiritually asleep. They're blind. As a matter of fact, they often pursue the kind of substances that will dull their senses. That's why the Bible says Christians shouldn't be drunk because we're supposed to be watchful. But there are other kinds of drunkenness, not just from substances. It can be something good like fitness or entertainment or, or politics or a hobby or a big project or a job opportunity that captures our attention so completely that we fall asleep spiritually. And 
you know, Silicon Valley knows how to use our phones to try to do that, right? We can be addicted to the little dopamine rush of checking our phones. And yet, how often is your phone pointing your attention to what you really need to be seeing, to what's really most important for you to be watchful about? We are called to be the kind of people who are awake and sober so that we can recognize what's going on in the world, in the nation, in our communities, in our families, in our brothers and sisters in Christ, and in our own hearts. 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded. Be watchful. You see how sober and watchful go together in these passages? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Are you alert to be able to recognize an attack on your faith? We could keep going. There are, there are several other passages about spiritual watchfulness. But what's the point? Remember, we've learned that according to Jesus, the reason why we don't keep our resolutions is that we're not strong enough. The weakness of our flesh overwhelms the willingness of our spirit. And so what we need is strength beyond ourselves, the strength of God. And so then Jesus gives us a two-part prescription. First part, watch. So maybe instead of... <clears throat> If you, if you want to look ahead and, and think about commitments and resolves here at the beginning of a new year, maybe instead of saying, hmm, what's a resolution I want to make? Maybe instead ask this question, where is it that I need strength? In what areas of your life do you especially need strength? And to ask that question is to be awake. It's to be alert. It's to try to see what's going on. It's to ask yourself, what am I missing? Maybe you've been distracted even by good things. But what, what blind spots have you developed in the rush of everyday life? In the busyness of good things? What do you need to be seeing that you haven't been seeing? Noticing that you haven't been noticing? What's going on in your family that you've missed? What's going on in your brothers and sisters in your church family, but you've not noticed it? What's going on in your own heart that you haven't been paying attention to? We could say, how do you need to wake up? But now, watching isn't all of Jesus' prescription, is it? Mark 14, 38, again, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So rather than, again, rather than asking yourself, hmm, what, what would I like to make a resolution about? Instead, ask yourself, what should I be noticing that I haven't been noticing? Where do I need strength? And how could I be praying about that? Watch and pray. When we don't pray, we're weak. The commentator Alan Cole, talking about this passage, refers to a powerlessness brought about by prayerlessness. In Mark 14, back up with me one verse. Mark 14, verse 37. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So end of verse 37. Look at those words. Could you not... 
didn't you have enough strength for this? Aren't you able to do this? No, he wasn't. He couldn't. Now, I want to show you another passage that uses that same could you word. It's over in Mark 9. Go back with me to Mark 9. So Jesus here is coming down from the transfiguration. So Jesus and Peter and James and John, they're coming down from this this hill, this mountain, and they're coming down to the rest of the disciples. And they see a very interesting scene as they come down. Mark 9, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. So the disciples, the rest of the disciples are in a big public argument and there's a crowd watching the show. Verse 15, And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So, I asked your disciples to cast it out and they, here's our word, they couldn't. They were not able. They couldn't do it. And then, Jesus cast out the demon. And now if you go down to verse 28, and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do it? Verse 29, And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And in some manuscripts it says prayer and fasting. In both passages, the question is, in in Mark 9 and Mark 14, the question is, do you have enough strength for this? And the answer is, no, you don't. And the solution is prayer. Colossians 4, this is on your notes, I think. Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. If you want a theme verse to get your year started, that would be a great one. Though there are several (laughs) that we're talking about this morning, but... Put it on your dash, put it on your computer desktop, put it on your phone wallpaper, put it on your bathroom mirror, whatever works for you. Colossians 4 verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Watch and pray. So the biggest reasons why we don't keep our resolutions is that we're not strong enough. The weakness of our flesh overwhelms the willingness of our spirit. What we need is strength beyond ourselves, the strength of God. Jesus gives a two-part prescription. Watch and pray. What should I be noticing that I haven't been noticing? Where do I or the people around me need God's strength? And how could I be praying about that? That would be a great way to approach this new year. Now, I'd like to finish up with two verses from the Psalms. So will you turn with me to Psalm 18, first of all. Psalm 
Psalm 18, verse 1. Psalm 18, 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. So God gives us strength, and we can be excited about His strength. He even gives us His own strength. But this psalm doesn't, that verse doesn't say that we love God's strength, does it? Though in a sense that's true. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Love God because He is your strength. Sometimes people say, we shouldn't love God for what He can do for us. We should just love God for who He is. But those two things are so inseparable. Yes, God is very strong. But the reason why I love the very strong God is not just because He's strong in the abstract, but it's because for this weak human being, God can give me strength. And I love Him for that. What a wonderful God. And so this suggests that when we come to God for strength, this can draw us closer to Him. It's not just coming to a a machine to get something dispensed out of it. It's drawing near to someone we love and we want to be near Him because He is our strength. So with that in mind, turn to Psalm 105. Psalm 105 and verse 4. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. You get the idea here that strength is actually found in having the strong one with you. Strength is found through prayer because strength is found in fellowship with the Lord. Strength is found in in walking with the Lord. Have you ever met Amazon? I mean, maybe you've met an Amazon delivery driver or known someone else who worked at Amazon. But generally speaking, Amazon is, is not a person with whom you have an actual relationship. You have a relationship with Amazon, but it's not a personal relationship with a person. It's an app on your phone with a buy it now button and fast shipping. And God is not like that. There is no such thing as Christianity Prime with quick shipping on whatever you need today. Just push the button and make sure you have your credit card ready. God created humanity to fellowship with him. God brought you into his family. God provides His strength to His children as they walk with Him, seeking His presence continually. It's a relationship in which we say, I love you, O Lord, my strength. So to seek His strength is to seek His his presence, is to seek His fellowship, it is to be with Him. And how do we do that? How do we seek God's presence? It's, It's so simple. It's His Word, prayer, and the church family, the body of Christ. Those are the three crystal clear things in Scripture. If you want the presence of God, if you want the fellowship of God, God speaks in His Word, we speak to Him in prayer, and He works in our lives through His body, Christ's body on earth, the church family. Any resolution that you make 
disconnected from the word prayer in the body of Christ is going to come up empty. Any spiritual resolution you make. Your weakness will overcome your willingness because strength is found in fellowship with the Lord. If you try to seek the Lord's strength without seeking the Lord, you're going to come up empty. But if any resolution is connected to God and His strength and His presence, any resolution that's carried out through the Word and prayer and the people of God is likely to meet God's strength all along the way. So, as you think about what you might need to commit, resolve, seek, moving ahead as a Christian, maybe instead of just, oh, I need to read the Bible more, or I need to pray more, I need to get more involved at church. How about, first of all, Lord, wake me up to what I need to be seeing, to what I'm missing, to what I haven't been watchful about. Where do I need strength? Where do the people around me need strength? Now, what I need to do is seek God about that. I don't just need impersonal strength to show up on my doorstep in a box. I need God's presence, bringing God's strength into that situation. How's that going to happen? Well, how can I bring the Word of God into that situation? How can I bring prayer into that situation? How can I bring the body of Christ into that situation? And you know, one way you can bring, just to give you a little example of how you can bring all those things together, prayer meetings next Sunday. So if this week you came to the Lord and said, what do I need to be seeing? Where do I need strength? Then come to prayer meeting next Sunday. Tell some brothers and sisters about it. Pray together about it. And ask them if they can think of any parts of Scripture that might encourage you about that. What did you just do? You brought the presence of God to bear on your need for strength through the word prayer in the body of Christ. That's the kind of resolve and commitment that's really going to bear fruit because we're not just seeking the Lord's strength. We're seeking the Lord and his strength and seeking his presence continually. So our closing prayer will be these words from the hymn. It's in your handout. I could not do without thee by Francis Havergal. If these words can be your prayer, then I hope that just silently in your heart you might pray them as I, as I read it. And then I'll have a closing benediction in charge. I could not do without Thee, O Savior of the lost, whose precious blood redeemed me at such tremendous cost. Thy righteousness, Thy pardon, Thy precious blood must be my only hope and comfort, my glory and my plea. I could not do without Thee, I cannot stand alone. I have no strength or goodness, no wisdom of my own. But Thou, beloved Savior, art all in all to me. And weakness will be power if leaning hard on Thee. And so this benediction from Isaiah 40 and charge from 1 Corinthians 15. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen.